Thanks for tuning in to the meditation conversation. Hop on over to karagoodwin.com. You can get a free 10-minute guided meditation right on the homepage to help you experience deep levels of peace. I also have lots of resources to learn meditation and to support your practice. And of course, by supporting those services, you are supporting my work, including the production of this very podcast to assist more souls on their path to awakening. Thank you for your support and enjoy this episode. So this is part two of my conversation with Lowell Johnson. So if you haven't yet discovered part one, I encourage you to go and have a listen to that and that will give you some foundational information um, kind of about changes happening with the sun, with the planet, with the central sun, things to do with frequencies and the human evolution. Um, lots of great info there. So it's helpful to listen to that first and then dive into this part where we go into journeying into Telos. Enjoy. So let's, let's talk about your time in, in Telos. Um, because this is, is, it's really fascinating and you've given us some teasers um, Telos is a city inside Mount Shasta, which is a lot to say in one sentence that, that can, you know, be bringing people completely outside their understanding of reality. So again, mm-hmm. like just let it sink in at whatever level you can take that in if, if for those who are listening. Um, but can you, can you share this story with us? It's just phenomenal. I had spent time by the time I got there, I'd gone to Shasta with the idea I was going to be there for a week and to make a long story short, ended up staying five. You know, I was just five so wow. entranced with what I was finding in the forest every day. And I like quiet and solace. It's where I find my connection to the other things that are talking to me. And it never fails to show up when I do that. Um, once you experience that, that that's really all you want. There's just magic that opens up. I had um, this particular weekend, I had gone to the spot that I like. There's a one road that goes from Mount Shasta um, up a road called Everett Memorial Highway. And if you drive as far as you can get, there are three levels of parking at the very top of this at about 7,900 feet above sea level up on the mountain. I had um, visited it like the second day I had got there and just found this space. I had heard about it earlier because I was checking out some crystal shops and there was one in particular that carried Andaras that I wanted to research. And as I was leaving, I could hear people talking about going to Scargaze later in the evening up on the top of the mountain. And I interrupted just enough to say, well, can anybody do that? And they kind of answered with, well, it's a parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) So I was up there that next night and saw the sky in a totally light pollution free environment. And it happened wow. to be, it was a new moon. So there was no moonlight. You mm. got to see the Milky Way in all its glory. Oh wow. my goodness. So I want to say over the next 
10 days, I probably spent five or six of them up there, at least until midnight, just watching the sky until I was too tired to last. And then I'll come back and do it tomorrow. It was fantastic. Then you see the nature of the phenomenon when there is a full moon and what difference that makes. But it was just beautiful. I had stopped one day at the top of this place, and there's only like four picnic tables in the whole place parking, but normally the parking lots are full and people are off um, hiking. I was sitting at a picnic table around noon, and I was looking at uh, Mount Shasta would have been in front of me, and its sister, um, Shastina, is just to the left. And as I looked at her, I thought I saw some cavities that could have been cave entrances. It was certainly the way that the sun was hitting the mountain and you could see shadows were being cast. But to me, it was curious enough that, you know, in the next day or so, I was going to go investigate for myself. Because from where I was sitting, it didn't look like it was going to take very long to get there, but it certainly wasn't along a trail. And there were some areas that I wanted to explore that way. So the next morning... (laughs) In the next day, I actually chose a more rigorous hike. Uh, there's a, one more mountain there. I think it's about 6,500 feet called Black Butte. And if you drive along I-5, you go right around this thing. You can't miss it. I decided I was going to climb to the top of that. And although what research I'd done on the web recommended that you don't do it because it's just scree. It's loose rock. There oh, are wow. patterns along this that have kind of made natural trails, but you can see where this is in two places, especially had washed out. And I had no business trying to walk over that. Plus I was alone and mm-hmm. I shouldn't have done it, but I did. It took me longer <laughs> to get down than it took me to get up. And the next, by the time I got to my room by about six fifteen that night, after I'd showered and rested, it was, you know, my mind, I was just going to take Sunday, watch TV and chill in bed until, you know, I recovered. Um, I'm not 25 years old hiking the way that I was hiking anymore. Well, I tend to wake up around seven o'clock every morning anyway, and I just have a routine that I meditate right away. It takes me about 20 minutes and starts my day out. Well, I did that. And then I, my intention was just to roll over and just chill out, maybe watch TV for a little bit. But by 10 o'clock, something was telling me, get out of bed, get your clothes on, go. So I did. A little before noon, I was back at that spot at the top of the mountain. And I began to take this hike over to where I wanted to get. I had taken photographs from the car just so you could see the direction I was going to head in because I wanted some points of reference. Every time I've been doing this, it's just kind of been in the background to help provide more proof. I can tell you my stories all day long, and there are lots of people that have them. But even when Kumu took those pictures and she sent them to me, she said, these are for your portfolio. And I didn't understand what the hell that meant. What do you mean it's for portfolio? Eventually, she told me the day is going to come when it's going to be your turn to tell your story. And the difference between you and everybody else is when you talk about light beings, you're going to have pictures of the phenomena. And the day that she had taken me to um, my light integration experience. Was that at the War Memorial? Yes. 
Oh yes. my gosh, those photos are are phenomenal. The Wait. starship that's above you. Yeah. That's I mean, I just stared at it for a long time. I was like, this yes. is this is phenomenal. I'm not going to be the only one. I'm the first one. But here is the first time that there was physical contact between different realms. Let's go back to Telos for a minute. It's easy for me to digress. <laughs> um, when I started to hike and I got up to these areas, I'd found more than one energetic, let's call it a vortex. And in retrospect now, there are many of them over there. When you're aware of what they are and you vibrate with them, oh my gosh, you run across them all the time. And they, you can see them with your physical eyes? You, I can now, mm -hmm. but I see things in a different way now. I see um, those energetic signatures take form. And mm -hmm. I see colors and different spectrums and my audio capacity is enhanced. I hear things that clearly others don't yet, yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I'm the only one, but holy mm -hmm. cow, it's like this trifecta has kind of come across. Mm. I had found one of these and uh, it looked like there was a, a rock circling and there was a tree growing out of the middle of it. So when I saw that, it just drew you to it. And I'm a light worker. I understand that my job is to plant light here on behalf of Gaia. I don't go to Shasta seeking something. It's always an energy exchange. But my job is to plant my light there. And then I dare you to walk through that aura and not be affected by it. Mm -hmm. Every time I find a little vortex like that, to me, I'm just opening or enabling another portal that's just been waiting to be activated for the next person. I saw that one stood there and there it's just, just there's this feeling that you get that you're in the right spot until I saw another one a little bit higher and off to the left. So I thought, you know, I like the elevation. So I'm going to move over there and was starting to get the same sensations until I saw one more almost against the mountain and it had this outcropping of rocks. So one was, um, a rock that was a little higher than my inseam, but it was narrow. So I could get up and over it. And then there was a boulder on this side and a boulder on the other side. But if you crawl over, oh my God, here's a cool little place to kind of sit. So like I had a done that exercise. Kind of. Almost, yes. Yeah. I looked in the direction of the parking lot way off in the distance and um, had planted my light. I sat down, I was having some water and I had some grapes and I was listening to music, you know, through my ear pods. And um, I had just finished putting things away and I, my the music had stopped. I didn't understand because my phone had been fully charged when I got there. So I'd reached into the back of my pocket where I was keeping my phone. I pulled it out and I could tell it wasn't on. Well, I, as I was trying to turn it back on, I sensed this. Well, almost like a shadow that was moving quicker than it should have, but it came along where I was sitting because I had my feet on the ground, my butts on the ground, and I was leaning up against, you know, the rock, the mountain. The only thing between me and it was dried brush. Um, 
as this sensation was coming below, it almost felt like there was a similar canopy coming over me, almost like a shadow. And as I was trying to take all that in, and now I felt like a breeze from behind me. I had moved up a little bit to just kind of take in the shadow phenomenon, and then I felt a breeze. And when I turned around to see it, now there was an opening behind me where there had not been nothing but solid rock before. Wow. Large enough for me to you know, certainly go through. And as I stood up and I turned around to take a, a measure of what was going on, you could see that there was a little rise where my feet were and then it went down. And as my eyes adjusted to the light conditions, I could see what I thought was somebody down there on the left-hand side. And if I was to guess, I would have guessed that this person would have been about my height. As all that was coming into my wherewithal, that's when I heard, would you like to see Telos? Well, you kind of get excited. And I'd seen it on a book. Mm -hmm. Uh, I kind of understood it was in the mountain. But if somebody was going to offer to show me something I didn't know, I was in. So your heart races a little bit, and I started to make my way down. And and as I got closer to this being, <laughs> he was not my size. He was at least two feet taller than I was. Was wow. dressed in like a, a, a white type of cloak, and it had some colored ribbons. And I still don't know. I, I put it this way because I don't know any other way to put it. I don't know if that was indicative of some Lemurian bling or whether it was indicative of some type of a rank that he held. Right. Um, when I got close enough, he said his name was Alex. And I said, well, that'll be easy to remember. That's my son's name. And he said, yeah, we know about your son, Alex. You know, follow us or follow me. So I followed him down this gateway. It To me, I'm in a lava tube in my mind uh, that this is going downward to where we're going. And down at the bottom, you can start to see a light source coming from the other way. As we got closer to the bottom, I looked behind me and couldn't see any light from where I had come from. Oh, wow. How, how are you feeling in these, like, as all of this, like you, you're walking through a portal that wasn't there um, so like this interdimensional t- space opens up and as much as like, I would love some, like, as we're listening to this, I would love to have this experience. And I also know that in the moment, if that were to open up to me, that I would need to keep my fear in check. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, if you come into fear, you're going to like, probably not be able to hold the vibration that you need to hold to be in there. It, in, that's that's the quandary between those of us like you that understand all about vibration. Um, there's still that part of us in 3D that's still affected by that. When I say I've put fear behind me long ago, that's a that's a lot to say. And people don't really understand that. What do you mean you're not afraid of anything? I'm not afraid of anything. And here's why. Because I've seen what comes next. And if I left this moment, I know I get to go on to what's better because I've seen it and I know what's coming. Very few people get to see from that perspective. So there's always a hint of fear that's been almost encoded into our DNA that needs to be dissolved 
before you can vibrate at the level that you wish to, to interact with these other beings. It's unmistakable, believe me when I tell you. They're around us all now, here. The case of the Lemurians, it makes me chuckle because we still spend a lot of time, and now you've seen more written, more revelations of people seeing phenomenon up in the sky and understanding that that had to be UFOs and that they can describe them with some kind of detail and the movements which what they have doesn't suggest the propulsion systems that we understand. We mm-hmm. think that there's got to be some um, give and go that you have to be pushed in order to move. Just like on the planet here, you know, we kind of crawl around on top, but, but we have to be moved. They don't work that way. That's, those are light beings, and they move in whatever way that they wish. There's nothing that prevents them from doing whatever they can, and we don't have the capacity to understand the technology that does that yet, but it's coming. Um, so basically, you, you didn't have to worry about fear. You were just excited and curious, and it was like, yep, I'm in. I was about to see something I had never seen before, and I was open to that. Okay. Um, All right. So when we got to the bottom of this opening, it opened up into an area, all I can call is like a staging area. And across from me, there were five more of these, what I would categorize as um, lava tubes. Uh, There were five. But interestingly, when we got into this clearing, immediately off to the left-hand side when we came in was a platform that I would guess was about six by six. And it appeared to have what I would call two bucket seats. No console, just this. There was another one over there and there was another one over there. Well, as I was kind of taking all this in, Alex had made his way to the other side, sat on that seat and indicated for me to sit on this one. And as soon as my butt hit that seat, this thing levitated and off we went into that middle tube on the other side. Now the sensation, I, the first thing that occurred to me is I'm moving, but there's no sensation in 3d like wind. Yeah. I'm not feeling any of that, but I know we're moving. And as we got closer to the other end of this lava tube and you could start to see light coming from the other side. Now you could see if these were crystals embedded or whatever they were inside this lava tube, it was like going through a kaleidoscope and every just iota of space you would move forward would change the light refraction in such a way that it was like a freaking living kaleidoscope. It was so beautiful. So when I was just getting ready to enjoy all that, now we come out and I see the entirety of the city of Telos from this crazy perspective. You've seen pictures of sky or city views. That's what I got to see. Because as soon as we got into this opening in this cavity, um, we went up to a spot where we were elevated and I could see the entire city laid out. It was all crystalline. It was circular in orientation. In the middle of it is this beautiful white pyramid with a capstone on the top that that particular day was white. I gained an appreciation for the capstone and the colors and what it meant later um, because it was all stuff I didn't understand. It 
answered the questions on the beings I saw that day. It was a Sunday. They were wearing white. There's a woman who's written a few different books on Telos. His name's Diane Robbins, and Diane couldn't be sweeter. I got a chance to sit with her a couple of times while I was in Shasta, because that's where she lives. And she had shared with me something after the first time we'd met that she'd never published in any of her books. And she said, I want you to understand this, because you had made references to people wearing white, and it happened to be Sunday. Well, I want to tell you what that means. She said that depending on the capstone color, that sets the tone for the community. And so had you been there on Wednesday, it would have been green. Had you been there on Saturday, it would have been purple. You picked Sunday, that was white. So, okay, these dots are connecting, and that's interesting. So when you start to hear these perspectives from other sources, you can't deny that any of this doesn't make sense anymore. It might sound like the wildest story you've ever heard, but that doesn't mean that there's something more to it that we just have shut ourselves off from but we've been begging to understand and experience for ourselves. Mm. As we made our way around, um, he began to explain the nature of who they were. There is a king and queen, but for all intents and purposes, uh, Lemuria and well, Telos, and maybe it's a good time to explain Telos is the city. Um, it's part of inner earth. Um, if you understand that whole Agartha network, Telos is just one city. So when you hear about Telosians, they're all Lemurians. It's just like I'm an American and I grew up in St. Paul. So, yes, I'm a St. Paulite. That's kind of the same um, perspective I want to help people understand so that the, when they hear the terms Lemurians and Telos, that they understand the distinction between them. My Telos experience was my first interdimensional experience. It took me a while for that to kind of sink in, to understand what it was and how to explain it to others. It wasn't that Telos wasn't this magical thing that happened to me, but that wasn't the point of all of this. The point of it all is to explain to others that those types of what we think is magical things are waiting for all of us. And although you may not go through the door to tell us that I did, I can tell you now, especially after being there a few weeks ago, there are more portals that have been activated. I took some people up there that found their own ways, whether they got in or not, they satisfied themselves with phenomenon there that I didn't get in the way of. I brought them to the place. Here's your opportunity to open yourself up and see what happens. But there were a few people that had profound things. And when they explained them, I'm totally familiar with what happened and who they happened with. Because one of those girls kind of peeled off from the group and said she ran into a being. And she sketched it. And I'll be damned if that didn't look exactly like Alex when I saw the drawing. Oh, wow. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah. So back to Telos. Um, after we had kind of hovered over the area, we descended enough so that I could start to make eye contact because there were pods of people. And there were five or six that I remember making eye contact with. And in every case, everyone, Kara, it was like I knew them and that mm. they knew me. So I kind of carried that away, and then the next thing I knew, I found us on this third level of five. Before I describe that, I should probably go back and explain what 
that phenomenon when I first saw the city of Telos. I couldn't see whatever the top of this enclosure was. And I had an idea in my mind, I'm under a mountain, but I couldn't see the top of whatever this represented. What I did realize is that it was lit up like daylight and I didn't see, there was no sun source for that. So how do you explain that? And further, there were no shadows that were cast by buildings or people. So how does that light source take place? I have come to understand that's a mechanism of crystal energy and that you can produce whatever energy you need to manifest. They're later fourth dimensional and fifth dimensional beings. They have all of their abilities intact. Their ability to manifest whatever they wish is at their disposal. So the third level is where their hydroponic gardens were. And I saw the equivalent of like seven acres in the most extraordinary technology I've seen. There's no dirt in any of these. Um, they're fed and nourished by um, crystal energy through the water that these plants are nourished with. But they seem to perpetuate themselves in a way that can help feed this entire population. Well, that thought overwhelmed me because in my understanding that when Lemuria was prepared for the day that they were going to house the remainder of the population that survived this flood, this catastrophe, that um, they had actually made space for 200,000. And in the end, it was about 25,000 that made it. From what I can glean out of it until I heard Sam mention 4.8 million beings that are here on Lightworkers' behalf the other day, I had kind of come to the conclusion that had been suggested like there's like 1.2 million people in Telos now. Don't know where the numbers came from, but um, it still made me wonder. When I was trying to put in context whether that food would feed this entire population, that's when some other things began to make sense to me. And first of all, it's that their bodies are no longer carbon-based like ours is. Those are crystalline bodies, which explains why they look so ageless. I couldn't tell you if they were hundreds or thousands of years old because their, their bodies do not deteriorate the ways that ours do. Hmm. Given that, it became clear to me that they don't eat because they need to. They don't have to sustain a body. They eat because they like to eat. That's part of their enjoyment, but nourishment doesn't come from that. All of their nourishment comes directly from the sun or some remnant of that. That's why when they're vegetarians and they eat more raw food in their minds, and it certainly makes sense, that that's raw solar energy being stored in that plant in natural um, states. We've kind of gone beyond that where, you know, we eat dead animals and we do things because they taste good. But in the end, um, are they right for our this physical body that we know is breaking down? You can see all the maladies that people have invited over time. Um, they don't suffer from that. So when that whole revelation of their crystalline bodies and what's happening with inside of us, this is what we're going to move to. Mm. Ascension's been explained to me in this way, which makes sense, and it's still going to be 
a snap. That one moment you're going to have a thought of what is experience is for you right now in this realm. And in the next moment, you're going to be in New Earth as part of co-creators, deciding what it's going to be like next. You've now stepped into a realm where Earth is back to its pristine conditions. Originally, when she was constructed as that seventh dimensional being, there were 12 crystal pyramids that were placed here strategically that gridded the entire planet. Here's where our energy came from. And it didn't just connect everything on the planet. It connected to realms beyond that. Mm. Um, The first Lemurians were seventh dimensional androgynous beings. And when you understand the story of how all that dismantled and how Atlanteans played a role in that, it'll all become clear on where the fall really took place. We are so busy thinking about the transition from our third dimensional mindset to fifth, we neglect to remember that where we're trying to get back to is seventh dimensional. That is where we're actually going. That's what inner earth still is to this day. Um, We just don't vibrate at the levels that we can. But when I tell you when our consciousness rises to the next level, fourth dimension, you're either going to sign a new soul contract and play out some more 3D lessons or you're ready to ascend. You don't stay in the fourth dimension for very long. It's just a place that our karma gets balanced out. And once it is, you move into fifth dimensional awareness immediately. Now, that's humanity's last physical form with all this accelerated knowledge and the things we've been tucking away. Those Akashic records that over all those lifetimes you've been storing away are all now at your disposal. And because your journey was so unique to the rest of us, imagine how that threads in with the fabric of all the rest of us when we come together. Oh my goodness. When the Lemurians get to share the technologies that they have with humanity, whose emotion drives their creativity, watch what happens. It's going to be crazy. So um, now that I've seen the third level toward the end of this tour, we're being brought up to the first level. And when I'd come in, I had definitely noticed off to the right-hand side, there was kind of a circular room or building, I guess I'd call it back then. Um, What I'm going to learn is that's the council chamber. And when we got close to it and stepped off this apparatus we were floating around on, I noticed that there were some inscriptions that were coded into the crystal. They were kind of flat panels and turned this building um, into a, a round composite. But I recognized these codes. I had seen them before. The first day I got to Shasta, it was too late to go hike. So I checked into my room and I thought I'd go down Main Street and I would check out some stores. And one of them that drew me in was a place called Blue Star Child Gallery. It's run by a uh, delightful little Japanese girl with gifts that we can't even measure entirely yet. This is Haruko's store. 
the first day I went in, I was drawn in by some colorful things that she had drawn that were in the windows. And when I went in, I could see that there were shoe covers everywhere, which I equated to you know, COVID. Um, it turns out she's Japanese, and this is you either remove your shoes or cover them with this. I get that now. And so I decided then I was going to come back and explore it in greater detail. But before I left, I had looked on that wall over there. Now she's got 10 foot ceilings in this place, and there are illustrations of what I believe are light coats. They're 10 feet high and they're three feet wide. She draws them by hand. She uses no rulers and no curvature tools. So these things take months to draw first and then to go back and color. Oh, my God, they're very powerful. She's got, when I went back the next day and I saw more of these through her shop and then the creative side of her that comes out, she's got one final room in the back that has five of these and they're so powerful that um, I'd seen a little round pillow in the back. And I had carried some crystals with me and I thought, well, maybe I'll put them in front of these and I'll charge them while I'm sitting in here. So I went out and asked permission if I could meditate back there for a little bit. And she said, that what's the rooms for. You can actually close the door and take as much time as you did. Well, 20 minutes later, I came out and I was in tears. Whatever had I had absorbed just came out in such joy. The doorway to this room on the left hand side in the chamber had the in this room in her place oh and had place. an illustration of new earth and its light code and the other one was called the new angelic blueprint it's the new human blueprint these were the same images i saw on those panels and when i mentioned to alex i said these look familiar to me he goes yeah those are haruko's work and they're accurate, which is why we inscribe them outside the council chambers. Oh, my God. So when we entered this room, I, I see there's a round table. There's 13 chairs around it. This is the council chamber. There are six feminine, six masculine beings that are there based on their spiritual level. They're there to guide the rest, and when they were here, they were responsible for helping the Lemurians um, increase their spiritual load. And then Adama is the main priest who oversees it all. Um, when I entered the room, I felt a sensation that felt like the most loving hug you've ever received. I've been on some ayahuasca journeys, and when Mother Ayahuasca gets a hold of you and that love expression comes out, the whole time I was in the room, it was like it just it kind of perpetuated and beat into my heart core the entire time. Um, so it's kind of hard to focus on anything else when that's the sensation you're getting. Yeah. As that's taking place, I can see five more people entering from that side of the room. I five can see more Talosians. Five more Talosians. Uh -huh. Two, two females flanking one male who I recognize from photographs. That's Adama, and he's mm -hmm. a good foot taller than all the rest of them. 
So I was invited to take a seat and then they situated themselves three on either side of me and they began to tell me who they were and you know what I was doing there. They each introduced themselves and for the life of me, and I apologize, I can remember who Adama and Alex was and I remember the first woman who spoke Shiama. Uh, because when the meeting began, it was she that seemed to chair the meeting, and she was the one who created the dialogue between us. She went on to explain that they were preparing for the shift. Now, this was prior to winter solstice in 2020, and everything that I had read and all of the things that I had been exposed to led me to believe that the shift was imminent and that for some reason it wasn't the date wasn't the hard date so much, but the time around winter solstice was when this was about to take place. Mm. Well, when it did, the time came and went, and people that I had had some conversations with about it said, well, you know, it came and went, nothing happened. I said, oh, oh something happened. Mm. If you don't feel that something's already taking place and that more people aren't being awakened, then you either need to dig deeper or open yourself up wider because that's exactly why we're having experiences like this and at such a rapid rate. Then the phenomenon just began because that was just, Telos was the first multidimensional experience and then Kumu came along in August and opened up a whole another can of worms from somebody I didn't know, had no experience with, but certainly knew who I was and had some things to exchange with me. Mm. So when she described those conditions, I my heart started to race because, man, I, I believe the same thing. And if this is really what's going to happen, then, man, I am here on a cosmically historic occasion. Here wow. is where it's said humanity is finally going to rise to fifth dimensional awareness for the first time. And since then, you know, you have to think that, well, the Atlanteans had that. But whether we would consider them humans back then, um, that would really be the question. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but the kind of that's the way I need to process and understand things for this 3D construct. And that's when you conclude there are some things I'm just I don't have the capacity to understand yet. But remain open and you'll see the assimilations and the dots will connect sooner or later. Right. Then they told me why it was me. One, I could demonstrate that I could already hold fifth dimensional awareness. So I understood their perspective and I could overcome duality and all of just the 3D construct. Two, they said they knew I was the protector of Gaia. They uttered a phrase I had heard Mother Ayahuasca told me in a journey two years before that and had put that away for, I'll figure out what that means later on. And then the third was that um, this whole idea that um, when Earth's consciousness was right, that I was asked to be an emissary on this side of the chasm so that when they were ready to integrate with surface beings again, I would be on this side already. Well, now that has come into more focus because it was a lovely notion to hear. But now that I understand through my incarnations, I came back here intentionally for this very purpose. To be that kind of uh, intermediary between Telos and humanity 
when, when, um, because, and the purpose of that, would that be for once the shift has happened and then everybody starts to like, it becomes common knowledge about Telos and about other cities such as that, that we're sharing dimensional space with. Yes. Right. Yes. You'll, we know that if you're here during that time, here's evidence that you vibrate at the same level and that your consciousness is growing. And all of a sudden you're no longer limited by the things you think, you know, from our three dimensional perspectives, because now you're in that fourth dimensional realm. You're working out whatever karma needs to be worked out. If there's any that needs to still be worked out, but your wherewithal of things and powers that you had before that have now been restored is what's going to make you a co-creator. And those are results of changes in our DNA. I've had accelerants along the way. Um, Mm -hmm. Ethereum is a conversation we can have another day on what that's all about. But Mm -hmm. I can tell you, that that accelerated my awakening and it's nothing you can buy. It was gifted to me along the way, the same thing, way most of these things were, but it helped crack my DNA open faster and wider. I'm not saying it's necessary for everyone to ingest it the way that I did. You'll get there one way or the other. This was just another thing that just helped me get it quicker so that I'd be in a place to help others faster. Again, indications to me that this transition's happening quicker than we expected, and all of us that are aware are being wrapped up as fast as we can be. Those 10 strands of junk DNA are no longer junk. We know that. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of not unlocking our existing two strands to be wider it's opening up the rest of those strands that are holding all of that experience from our past incarnations that now is going to come back to your ability to understand and use those akashic records in time when we understand we're all connected to one another now all serve the collective so it's beautiful when we realize that the lessons you're learning are not like anybody else's and thank you that they're not Mm -hmm. and thank you for the lousy lessons you had to learn on our behalf because we didn't have to but over time we'll all benefit from them now what does that mean it means that when humanity gets to that level and we take our creativity with it along with the technologies that they're going to teach us that our Um, evolution is going to happen more rapidly. Mm. When we put that into perspective here and we think beyond what our world has to offer, that people like me and other people that have been here going through the shift knowledgeably are going to be of great value in other places in the galaxy that are going through the same thing. I am not... I've made a conscious decision to stay here with New Earth. I know my role as a protector of Gaia. I'm here to assist her with her ascension and what all that means. It certainly resonates with me because nature and that, it resonates with me like crazy. 
my responsibility is to the planet first. And it's not to say that I don't love humanity, but you're all secondary to what she needs first. It's her rise in consciousness that's happening regardless. If the rest of us are aware of what's going on and we match her vibration, then we're all going with her as well. Um, there are some that aren't going to make it, and that's not a good or a bad thing. It's all their particular choices on whether they're done learning their three-dimensional lessons. It's funny, when this began, I had this conversation with my son, <laughs> which wasn't an easy one to have. And back then, he said, you know, Dad, I'm not done you know, enjoying the things that are here. And what can I say to that? All I can do is allow it in a loving way because those are his lessons to learn. And actually, if you think about the conditions with which we decide our next incarnation, we choose those circumstances. We choose them. We've made soul contracts with people that are going to play roles for us along the way as well. And in that regard, our children choose us. Mm. We chose our parents in those constructs. So knowing what my son is capable of, I'm very proud of that he chose me. It wasn't my choice. Certainly, we perpetuated the physicality here, but we had nothing to do with the soul that resides there. Right, right. We knew them all before. We all came from that platform before. So it's it's somewhat, I don't want to say distressing, it's just unfortunate when people see their loved ones pass on and they grieve for so long, not understanding that they really didn't go anywhere, that you're a step away from reconnecting with all of them again. You just in this particular incarnation, you're unaware of all that again. And it's, it's hard. It's the same with the animals you've had, your dogs, your cats. And no, 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 they're all, you know, sparks of source that broke off as well and all ascending in different ways. Um, It's just a perspective we need to begin to explore a little bit more for ourselves. Anyway, after that meeting was over um, and she had asked whether I would consider being an emissary, I stammered a bit and there are always thoughts of, you know, why me and why gratitude, don't get me wrong, humility. Um, I was uttered I'd be honored. And with that, the meeting was over. Really? <laughs> they got what they needed. Like, and okay, they, that's um, it. <laughs> up and they left and we left the room and made our way back to the staging. And by now I'm taking it in. I really didn't have much to say. I didn't have questions to ask. I just wanted to take it in and I'll sort it out later. But I did have two questions. One of them is, will I be able to return? And Alex kind of giggled and he said, "Um, yeah, you'll be able to return before the shift. I didn't know what that meant. Second question was, can I tell anybody about this? And again, he laughed and said, well, the council is um, unanimous understanding that the shift is imminent and you can tell anybody you wish. It's not like they're going to find their way down here because you didn't without our assistance. And secondly, um, we want them to know that we're here. We want them to know that we're real. That's going to be 
a tougher challenge moving forward, but there are those that want to believe it. And there are those that are just kind of stuck on the outside. Um, I'm here to tell you what I experienced. And then you have to use your own discernment on whether you think I'm crazy or whether I am really, there's some truth to it. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, that experience because it is so powerful and and it's interesting because since the first time I heard this this experience, then I have been able in my meditative state to kind of tune in um, to the the vibration of Telos and the vibration of Adama. And I haven't had any like really clear experiences where I'm like, oh, I can see it or I can see him or I know he's andro- androgynous, her, whatever. Um, well, they're not any longer. Originally, they were seventh um, dimensional androgynous well, isn't beings. Isn't I? He is now. But you have to understand what happened between when Lemuria was thriving at that stage and when Atlantis kind of tricked the Lemurians into thinking that they weren't as perfect as they thought that they were. Because if they were, then Source would have allowed you to enjoy the physical union. Well, that got inside the heads of the Lemurians. And that's when they agreed to be separated into male and female. So they dropped from seventh dimensional to fifth dimensional like the Atlanteans. Now, here is the crazy part of all of it. The Atlanteans were trying to ascend to seventh dimensional awareness. That's what they wanted from the Lemurians. But this dark energy, if you want to see it that way, had convinced them otherwise. And now we've all dropped, not just from five. When Atlantis was going to go, she was going to drop even further than that so we could enjoy and understand physicality. Here's where we were. Does that, it's reasonable now, isn't it? Mm, Wow. When I had heard that, it was crazy for me to understand who the Lemurians were, put um, crystalline um, forms into shape, light bodies. But when I was given more clarity on the history of things and learned that they were seventh dimensional beings with superpowers back then, Mm. that that all kind of unraveled because they were duped into thinking something that wasn't true. How about that? Wow. Well, I I feel like we have um, ex- we've covered a lot, and I think that we might be at a good place to let people digest and let That's this a lot to integrate. Yes. yes, right. But I would love to carry on this discussion um, in the future, and because there are so many different, I mean, you've left a lot of little breadcrumbs of things that we can explore further, and I know just through your experience. Um, that there's more and will will yet be more too. So um, I... Well, I thank I, you. And I, I agree. Uh, I know it's going to spawn a lot of questions. So here's my suggestion. I would be delighted to do this again. It's my job to help people understand a little bit more about what's already inside of themselves. So it's not like I'm going to tell you the way things are for me. My journey is mm-hmm. different than everybody else's. But clearly... I triggered some people, and they weren't here watching this by accident. 
There's no coincidences. They're on the other side of the screen today because they were led here to understand something that has been nagging at them for a while and they didn't quite understand what it was. Anyway, my point is, um, if we do these again, and I would love to do that, I if there's a way for them to exchange, I love that kind of dynamic. That way okay. they get to ask questions in real time about of things that have happened to me and help them put it into perspective. Yeah. If there's a way we can accomplish that, you let me know, but I would love to do this again, Carrie. It'd be great. Okay. Well, thank you. I will look into that. I don't have the capability at the moment, but I'm sure something will, will develop to enable that. Well, okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for the light work that you're doing uh, the guardianship of Gaia, the work that you're doing to help through this shift and the preparation. Um, it's really, really such a blessing and what a blessing to connect with you today. Thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed it. See, wasn't that fantastic? I hope you loved it just as much as I did. Um, I am so excited about Lowell's warm invitation to continue the conversation and to invite you to join us so that he can answer your questions directly. I have not yet figured out the mechanism that I would use to do that, but I do know that I'll be announcing that through um, my newsletter. So if you're not on my newsletter list, please go to karagoodwin.com. And right on the homepage, there are different ways to connect. You can join, um, get a 10-minute free guided meditation, and that will get you on the newsletter list as well. Or you can just scroll to the bottom, and there's a, a sign up there. So don't miss your chance to talk to Lowell directly um, and be on the lookout for that coming soon. In the meantime, I hope you have a very blessed day and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.